38, look at verse 1 there. Isaiah chapter 38 and verse 1. The Bible says, In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came unto him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. And I want you to notice in that first phrase there, if you've been with us on Sunday nights, you, you know we've been talking about Hezekiah uh, in, in the book of Isaiah here. And you know that the last couple of chapters, chapters 36 and chapter 37, we were dealing with Hezekiah and the fact that the Assyrian uh, were coming down to uh, threaten him, to fight against him, to, to try to get him to be afraid. And I want you to understand, in chapter 38, we're going to deal with Hezekiah being sick unto death. But in verse 1 there, it says, in those days. And the idea is that at the same time, in the same days, in the same time frame that Hezekiah is dealing with this Assyrian empire coming down and threatening him and trying to scare him and all those things that we've been talking about, at the same time that Hezekiah is dealing with that, he's also dealing with this sickness. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And let me prove it to you. If you go down to verse number 6 there, you'll notice that God's response to Hezekiah, and we're going to get a little more into it here in a minute, but when God responds to Hezekiah's prayer in regards to healing him, part of that uh, of what God says he's going to do for him in verse 6. He says, And I, this is God speaking, will deliver thee and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city. So you say, well, we saw that last week when God defended it. But you got to understand, I, chapter 38 is kind of in the midst of all of this going on. So Hezekiah is dealing with the Assyrians. Hezekiah is dealing with this disease or this sickness that's unto death. And when God answers his prayer, He says, I'm going to heal you of your sickness, and I'm going to deliver you from the Assyrians. And you've got to understand this lesson and kind of learn this lesson. Keep uh, your finger there in Isaiah 38, but go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter number 4, just real quickly. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4, 2 Corinthians chapter number 4, and look at verse number 8. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4 and verse number 8 in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 8, I want you to notice the Apostle Paul is speaking about these trials and these persecutions and these struggles that he's going through. And in verse 8, he says this, we are troubled, but I want you to notice this phrase, on every side. Do you see that? He says, we are troubled on every side. He says, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Go to Ephesians chapter number 6. You're there in 2 Corinthians. Uh, and just go a few pages over. First and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians chapter number 6. And look at verse, now in, uh, chapter, verse number 16. Now, in Ephesians, you have that famous passage about putting on the armor of God. But I want you to notice this verse in Ephesians chapter number 6 and verse number 16. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 16. The Bible says this, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench, and I want you to notice this, the fiery, notice it doesn't say dart, but it says the fiery darts, plural, of the wicked. you got to understand, when Satan attacks, when trials come, when the attacks of the enemy come, they come in multiples. See, Hezekiah was not just dealing with this Assyrian invasion. He was dealing with the Assyrian invasion while dealing with health issues. And you just got to understand this. When it rains, it pours. 
When you sing a cappella, the air conditioner goes out. You know what I mean? It's just, it happens that way. It's just, you, when things happen, it's just, things happen. And they usually, and you say, well, I don't understand. This is happening wrong, and this is happening wrong, and this. It's exactly what Paul said when he said, hey, we are troubled on every side. Hezekiah would say, I'm having health issues, and I'm having political issues. I'm having financial problems, and I'm having all sorts of issues. And when Satan throws darts, he never just throws one. He throws multiple. He persecutes you in multiple ways. And that's just something you got to understand. Whenever something is happening, just realize it's probably not the only thing. Go back to Isaiah 38. Look at verse 2. In this passage, you find Hezekiah kind of dealing with these things and with this idea of, of being, uh, having a sickness unto death and having these problems. Well, look at verse 1 again, just, just real quickly. In those days was Hezekiah sickened to death, and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came unto him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord. Now, notice this. He said, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. And uh, there we see that God expects men to have uh, their houses in order before they die. God expects you to make sure you, you've taken care of your wife and your kids and you're taking care of the different things that those loose ends before you die. I just thought that was interesting. Isaiah shows up and he says, hey, set your house in order for thou shalt die and not live. Look at verse 2. Then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed unto the Lord. Now, we already saw from chapter 37 that Hezekiah is uh, a prayer warrior. This man knows how to pray and he knows how to get uh, the power of God. But here we see again the best reaction from Hezekiah was that he turned his, his face toward the wall and prayed unto the Lord and said, now notice what he says in verse 3, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee, how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. Now let me tell you something. That is a great testimony. You do not want to be getting right with God in the ER room. You do not want to be getting right with God when they're doing surgery on your child. You don't want to be getting right with God when the trials come. You want to be able to live your life in a way where at any moment when the bad news comes, you can turn your face to a wall and pray to God and say, God, you know that I've been walking with you. You know that I've been doing right. You know that I've tried to do what's right in your sight. And at this time, I'm sure Hezekiah was thankful that he'd been faithful and doing right in his life. Look at verse 4. Then came the word of the Lord to Isaiah, saying, and notice what, the, what, what it says there and, uh, in verse number 5, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David, thy father, I have heard thy prayer. I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will add unto thy days 15 years. Now, I want you to keep your finger there in Isaiah 38. And go with me to 2 Kings chapter number 20. When you get to 2 Kings chapter 20, put a bulletin there or a ribbon there. We're going to leave that, and then we're going to come back to it. 2 Kings chapter 20 is a parallel passage to Isaiah 38, verses, you know, chapter 37, 38, um, 36, 39. It's all the life of Hezekiah. But in, in 2 Kings chapter 20, we get just a little more details of what's going on there. Then in uh, Isaiah 38, and I want you to notice how this went down. In 2 Kings chapter number 20 and verse 1, it's almost word for word, reads almost exactly like Isaiah 38. Notice it says, In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death, and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Then he turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord, saying, I beseech thee, O Lord, remember now how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart, and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. Now I want you to notice in verse 4. 
more. Here's the detail we get in 2 Kings that we don't get in Isaiah. And it came to pass afore. Now that word afore is just an older way of, what we, of, of the word we would use is before. Now notice what he says. And it came to pass before Isaiah was gone out into the middle court. The word of the Lord came unto him saying. Now here's what I want you to understand, okay? God tells Isaiah, go see Hezekiah. And tell him to get his house in order because he's going to die and he's not going to live. Isaiah, you know, they, he didn't have a car like we have a car. And I don't know how much he had to travel, but he got himself dressed, got himself ready, went down to Jerusalem or, you know, went down to the, to the palace there, went to see the king. I'm sure that wasn't, he didn't just walk in. I'm sure he had to talk to some guard to say, hey, I'm Isaiah. I'm here to see the king. Probably had to check him, pat him down. I don't know what he did. He does everything he's got to do to get up to Hezekiah. Hezekiah's probably in his room on his bed, you know, sick. Hezekiah, Isaiah comes in and says, Hezekiah, you're going to die. Get your house in order. Get things ready. You're, you're, you're going to die. You're not going to live. You're going to die from this sickness. Walks out the door. Starts making his way through the palace. And the Bible says, before Isaiah has gone into the middle court, hasn't even got out of the building yet, God says, hey, Isaiah, turn around. I need you to go tell Hezekiah something. What do you need me to tell Hezekiah, Lord? Notice what he says. We'll, we'll go back to Isaiah 38. Look at verse 5. Isaiah 38 and verse 5. He says, go... And say to Hezekiah, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David, thy father, I have heard thy prayer. I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will add unto thy days 15 years. Now, could you imagine being Isaiah saying, God, you want me to go tell this guy? He's got, you just told me to tell him he's going to die. And I just barely walked out of his room. I, I stopped by the vending machine. And you're telling me to come back and tell him he's got another 15 years? And here's what I want you to understand. Prayer has the power to change the mind of God. See, we get this Calvinistic type of idea that if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. If I'm going to die, I'm going to die. If God's going to do it. But listen to me, prayer works. And Isaiah shows up and says to Hezekiah, the will of God is for you to die. And Hezekiah prays and gets an answered prayer. Hezekiah prays and changes the mind of God. Hezekiah prays and changes the will of God. And here's the key. Here's the key. Look at verse 5. Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David, thy father. And I know I bring this up, and I've been bringing it up over and over. It seems like everywhere we go in Scripture, this idea keeps coming up, and maybe God just wants to drill it into our minds. But here's the key. Why did Hezekiah's prayer get get answered? Notice what God said to Hezekiah. I have heard thy prayer. So why did Hezekiah get his prayer answered? Because he prayed. Because he cried out to God. Because he made a request. See, God says, I heard your prayer, so I'm going to answer your prayer. And you've got to understand this. The reason our prayers don't get answered is because we don't pray. The reason we don't pray is because we really don't think that God will answer our prayers. The Bible says, ye have not because ye ask not. Go to Matthew chapter 7, just real quickly. Matthew chapter number 7 and look at verse number 7. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7. We've seen these before, but let's just look at them again. I don't know why it keeps coming up in every chapter. This idea that when you pray, your prayers get answered. Maybe God wants to answer some of our prayers. And we don't pray. But Hezekiah knew that it did not have to be so. That God's plan and God's purposes, if we pray in the will of God and if we pray in faith, that our prayers can be answered. Look at Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 7. Jesus said this, Ask and it shall be given you. Seek 
and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. But here's the question I have for you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God answers prayer? Do you believe that God can answer prayer? Go to James, James chapter number uh, 4. Just real quickly, I, I quoted it for you, but let's look at it together. James chapter 4, right after the book of Hebrews. James chapter 4. Can I get one of the ushers to help me out? If you guys can grab me a bottle of water from in there, I'd appreciate that. Thank you. James chapter number 4, and look at verse number 2. James chapter number 4, and look at verse number 2. James said, ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain. Ye fight and, uh, ye fight and war, yet ye have not. And here's what he says, because ye ask not. Go to James chapter number 5. James chapter number 5. See, we, we've gotten to this place. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. We've gotten to this place where the charismatics and the Pentecostal movement has made us afraid to claim the power of God. And we think that, well, if I pray, if I ask God to pray, if I ask God to heal me of this, you know, does that make me a Pentecostal? But listen, the Bible says that God can answer your prayers and even heal the sick. Are you there in James chapter 5? Look at verse number 13, James 5, 13. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now notice what he says. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Do you believe that? And the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. See, we, we've allowed these you know, televangelists, charismatics to scare us and say, oh no, we can't go there and we can't believe it. Look, I'm not talking about hitting people over the head and you know, telling them that God's going to heal them if they give us $1,000. I'm not talking about that. But I'm saying this. Do you believe that if you were to pray according to the will of God and pray in faith, that the prayer of faith could save the sick? See, we've gone so mechanical in our Christianity that we don't even pray because we don't even think God will answer. But Hezekiah prayed, and God answered prayer. And li- listen to me. You know, you say, well, I, mean, I don't know about that. Anointing people with oil and, and praying for them to be healed. It's in the Bible. It's in the Word of God. He says the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Do you believe that? Go back to Isaiah chapter 38. <clears throat> I remember a story I heard Jack Hiles tell a story that at one time they had 10, uh, 10 couples in their church that could not have children. And they went to him and they asked him if he could uh, anoint them with oil and pray over them so that they could have children. And he said within a year, every single one of the couples, after he'd anointed them with oil and prayed, every single one of the couples uh, was expecting. And one of them was expecting twins. And he said, I, I knew I put too much oil on them. You know? <laughs> Not, it's not the oil, okay? It's not the oil that heals. It's, it's the, the power of God. The oil is just a picture of the Holy Spirit. But, uh, you know, it's in the Word of God. And we ought not get scared with these charismatics and make us feel weird about praying for people to be healed. Hezekiah prayed to God, and God answered his prayer. Isaiah 38, look at verse number 7. Isaiah 38, <clears throat> look at verse 7. And this shall be a sign unto thee from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing that he had spoken. Behold, I will bring again the shadow of the degrees which has gone down in the sundial of Ahaz ten degrees backward. So the sun returned ten degrees by which degrees it was gone down. So here Hezekiah gets a sign from God that God is going to answer his prayer. Now, again, in Isaiah, we don't get a lot of details in regards to this. If you go down to verse 22, you'll find out that the reason that Hezekiah got this sign is because Hezekiah 
Again, ask for the sign. Notice Ezekiah 38, verse 22. Hezekiah also had said, What is the sign that I shall go up to the house of the Lord? If you can get back to 2 Kings chapter number 20, we'll look at the story again and get some details in regards to this. Hezekiah asked for a sign. Hezekiah asked for this sign from God. Now, I don't believe that today you and I need to be asking God for signs. We've got the sign we need. The fact that he died, was buried for three days and rose from the grave. The fact that he spent three days and three nights in the, in the center of the earth. But Hezekiah wanted to know and wanted to see that God would answer this prayer. Go, are you there in 2 Kings chapter 20? Look at verse 8. And Hezekiah said unto Isaiah, because remember Isaiah comes in and says, you're going to live for another 15 years. God is going to heal you. And then Hezekiah's response to that is this. And Hezekiah said unto Isaiah, what shall be the sign that the Lord will heal me? And that I shall go up into the house of the Lord the third day. He says, what is the sign that God is going to do what he said he was going to do? Verse 9, and Isaiah said, this sign shalt thou have of the Lord, that the Lord will do this thing that he hath spoken. Shall the shadow, so he says, here's the sign, okay? Shall the shadow go forward 10 degrees or go back 10 degrees? Now, they're talking about a sundial here. And the idea with the sundial is that it would create a shadow as the sun hits it. It would create a shadow. And as the sun would would move across the sky, that shadow would move with that sun. So you'd be able to tell what time it was or different things like that. And Isaiah says to Hezekiah, okay, here's the sign. God is going to move the sun either forward or backward. He said the shadow can either go forward 10 degrees or back 10 degrees. He said, what would you like it to do so you can see the power of God, that God has the power to heal you? Now notice verse 10. And Hezekiah answered, it is a light thing for the shadow to go down 10 degrees. Now, you know, here's what he's saying. He's saying, it's not that hard to make the sun move forward. Now, of course, the sun, you know, if if God moved the sun forward, you know, just quickly, miraculously, you know, obviously that takes great power. But I think what Hezekiah is saying and what he's thinking is this. The sun is going to move forward anyway. You know, whether God does it in a span of 10 minutes or God does it in a span of 10 hours, he says it's a light thing that the uh, shadow to go down 10 degrees. He says, nay, but let the shadow return backward 10 degrees. So he's saying, the sun's going to go down anyway. I don't want to ask God for something that God's going to do anyway. He said, I want to ask God to do something that he would not have done if I wouldn't have asked. He said, I want to see the sun go back. He said, I want the ten shadow, the, the, the ten degrees to go backward. Verse 11, and Isaiah the prophet cried unto the Lord, and he brought the shadow ten degrees backward by which it had gone down in the dial of Ahaz. Now I want you to notice, everything is in Scripture for a reason. Everything in the Bible is there for a reason. There is no fluff in the Word of God. And God... And, you know, the writer of 2 Kings here and the writer of Isaiah under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost all made sure to let us know that this dial that they were talking about, that God was going to use as a sign, was the dial of Ahaz, meaning Ahaz the king is the one who had created this dial and put it out there for them to be able to use. Now, this is important, and here's why. Ahaz is the father of Hezekiah. But even more than that, Ahaz 
had an opportunity, just like Hezekiah, to ask for a sign from God. We actually saw this in Isaiah chapter 7 when we were there, but let's go back there and review that real quickly. Isaiah chapter 7. And I want you to notice the similarities between the story that happens to Hezekiah and the story that happens to Ahaz. Ahaz was a wicked king. Hezekiah was a good king, but Hezekiah was the son of Ahaz. Isaiah chapter 7, look at verse 1. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 1, the Bible says this, And it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah. Now remember, he's the king of the southern kingdom. Remember, I've explained this to you a couple times, that the kingdom at this time is divided. You've got the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Ahaz and Hezekiah are the kings of the southern kingdom. The, the king, he's the king of Judah, verse 1. That reason, the king of Syria. Now, this is not Assyria. This is Syria, another nation, another, other enemies of, of the people of God. Reason, the king of Syria. And Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, king of Israel. Now, I want you to follow this. The king of Israel is that northern kingdom. So you've got the king of Syria and the king of Israel, the northern kingdom, and they are coming against, notice, went up toward Jerusalem to war against it. Jerusalem is the capital of the southern kingdom. So you've got Syria and the northern kingdom going down to the southern kingdom, to the the kingdom of Ahaz, to war against it, but could not prevail against it. Look at verse 2. And it was told the house of David. The house of David is Jerusalem, is Ahaz. It was told the house of David, saying... Syria is confederate with Ephraim. Now, Ephraim is that northern Israel, that northern kingdom of Israel. And his heart, notice, this is Ahaz. His heart was moved, and the heart of his people, as the trees of the wood are moved with the wind. So Ahaz, the father of the future king Hezekiah, gets news, just like Hezekiah did, that Syria, Hezekiah got news that Assyria, Ahaz gets news that Syria has become confederate with Ephraim, the northern kingdom of Israel, and they're both coming down to war against him. Look at verse 3. Then said the Lord unto Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz, thou and she are Jashub thy son. Now I want you to notice this. Does this sound familiar? At the end of the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field. Do you remember in Isaiah 37 and 38? That's exactly where Rabshakeh went to talk to Hezekiah and to the men of Judah. And he was saying all those things to try to get them to be scared and afraid. See, all these things are connected in Scripture. Look at verse 4. And say unto him. So this is Isaiah talking to Ahaz. And say unto him, take heed. Now here's what that phrase, take heed, means. It means pay attention. And be quiet. Here's what the phrase be quiet means. Shut up. (laughs) Fear not. Neither be faint hearted. Here's what Isaiah shows up and says. Listen Ahaz. I need you to pay attention. Which means you need to shut up. You need to stop being so scared. Stop being so afraid. Isn't it amazing? Almost like every chapter in scripture. It's just like 
Don't be afraid. Stop being afraid. Don't be scared. Don't fear man. Don't fear what man can do to you. He says, fear not, neither be faint-hearted, for the two tails of these smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of reason with Syria and of the son of Ramaliah, because Syria, uh, now, now notice this, verse 5, because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Ramaliah have taken evil counsel against thee, talking to Ahaz, uh, saying, verse 6, let us go up against Judah, that's the southern kingdom, and vex it, and let us make a breach therein for us, and set a king in the midst of it, even the son of Tabeel, thus saith the Lord God, it shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. So Isaiah is telling Ahaz, the father of the future king Hezekiah, hey listen, it's not going to stand. It's not going to come to pass. These guys are not going to overtake you. I'm not going to let them win. Verse 8, for the head of Syria is Damascus. Syria is the nation. Damascus is the capital. He says, the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is reason. That's a man. He says, he says they're trusting in a man. Within three score and five years shall Ephraim be broken, that's the northern kingdom, that it be not a people, because, of course, the Assyrians came and took over that northern kingdom, verse 9. And the head of Ephraim, that's the northern kingdom, is Samaria, that's the capital. And the head of Samaria is Remaliah's son, that's a man. Here's what he's saying. They're trusting in men. They're trusting in their leaders. They're trusting in chariots. He says, if ye will not believe, Surely, he shall not be established. Now, I want you to understand what's going on here. Isaiah is speaking to Ahaz and saying, will you just trust the Lord? Will you just trust God? Will you just stop being so scared? God said he's going to help you. God said he's going to take care of you. Stop being so scared. Notice verse 10. Moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, now notice this. Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God, talking to Ahaz. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, now here's the difference between Ahaz and Hezekiah. I will not ask. God comes to Ahaz and says, listen, Ahaz, ask a sign. He said, what do you want to see? He said, ask, ask a sign. He said, either in the depth or in the height above. He said, he said, I can show you a sign in the sky. He said, I can show you a sign in the sea. He said, just tell me what you want to see so that your faith can increase. What sign do you want? And Ahaz says, I will not ask. And here's what makes it worse. Not only does he refuse to ask, but he spiritualizes it. He puts this spiritual spit on it. He says, I will not ask. Neither will I tempt the Lord. Now, I don't have time to develop this, but the, the, the phrase comes from this idea. Remember when the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness and they would keep asking God for things. We want manna. We want quail. We want this. We want that. And they were tempting the Lord. Here you have Ahaz saying, oh, I'm not going to tempt the Lord. I'm not going to ask for a sign. But here's the problem. When you're not tempting God when God is the one telling you to ask for a sign. Do you understand that? You're tempting God when you're complaining and murmuring about the things that God hasn't given you. When God says, I want to give you something, Ahaz, and, and he says, ask me for a sign, and he puts this ultra-spiritual you know, spin on it. He says, well, I'm not going to ask because I am way too spiritual to ask God for something like that. And you know what? Today we have a bunch of Ahazes, and we have some Hezekiahs. Today we have some ultra-spiritual Christians that are all spiritual about doing a whole lot of nothing. And we've got some, you know, well, I don't, I'm, I, well, I don't want to go reach people because it's not about me. Look, God, God is looking for someone who says, I want to see God do something great. 
God is looking for individuals who say, I, I love the spirit of Hezekiah. He says, you know what? I don't want to see the sun go down. The sun's going to go down anyway. He said, I want to see God do something great. He said, make the sun go back. And all throughout the Bible, you find this idea and this concept of God looking for people that will challenge him. God looking for people that will say, I want to see something great done. I want to see something powerful done. I want to see something in my life happen that it would not just happen anyway. That it would only happen if God answered my prayer. Let me give you some examples. You're there in 2 Kings chapter 20 or you got your finger there, I think, or something. Go to 2 Kings chapter number 2. 2 Kings chapter number 2. 2 Kings chapter number 2, look at verse 9. 2 Kings chapter 2, I don't know, I think you're in Isaiah 7, but can you get back to 2 Kings? Look at chapter 2 in verse 9. In, in, in 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 9, you got the story of Elijah and Elisha. Remember, we talked about that this morning. Elisha was the minister of Elijah, the prophet. And in 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 9, Elijah knows that he's getting ready to die. And notice what he says to Elisha. 2 Kings chapter number 2 and verse 9. And it came to pass... When they were gone over, that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee. So Elisha, the prophet, one of the greatest men of God who ever lived, says to Elisha, his servant, his helper, his second in command, he says, What shall I do for thee before I be taken away from thee? And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. Elijah is one of the greatest prophets who ever lived, one of the most powerful men who ever lived, one of the great, you know, just did these amazing miracles. He says to Elisha, what do you want me to do for you? And here's what Elisha says. Not, I want to be as good as you, Elijah, one of the greatest prophets who ever lived. He didn't say, I want to be as good as you. He said, I want to be twice as good as you. He said, I want to do twice as many miracles as you. He said, I want to have twice the power, twice the spirit, twice the ability of you. Notice his response, verse 10. And he said, this is Elijah, thou hast asked a hard thing. He said, good night. Seriously? He's like, do you know who I am? I, I, you mean, I'm Elijah. You want a double portion of my spirit? He says, thou hast asked a hard thing, but I love this, nevertheless. Did you see that? He says, you asked a hard thing, but you know what? God likes it when you ask a hard thing. He says, you, you asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall, be so, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. Look at verse 11. And it came to pass as they still went on and talked that he, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and cried. Now, I want you just remember this phrase, okay? When Elijah is taken up to heaven, Elisha says these words. He says, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen thereof. So remember, Elijah goes up into the, into the air and Elisha sees it happen and he cries out, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. He took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when, uh, and when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither and Elisha went over. So did you get the story? He says, 
He said, I want a double portion of your spirit. He says, okay, that's hard. That's a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I go up, you're going to get it. He goes up. He throws down the mantle. He grabs the mantle. He smites the water. He, he, first, he says, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel, the horsemen thereof. He gets the mantle. He goes to the water. He smites. He says, where is the Lord God of Elijah? God parts the sea for him there. He crosses over, and he begins to one of the greatest ministries, and he actually had a double portion of the spirit of Elijah. See, and you say, well, what's that about? God wants people to challenge him. God wants people to say, you know, I, I, I don't want average. I want the supernatural. I want to do a great thing. Now, here's what's interesting, okay? Go to, uh, let's see, go to 2 Kings chapter number 13. So at the, at the death, you could say, of Elijah, though we know that he went up into heaven, at the end of the life of Elijah, Elijah asked Elisha a question, what do you want? Elisha says, I want a double portion. Elijah says, that's a hard thing. You're asking for a tough thing. But okay, we can do that. God can do that. And, 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 and Elisha said, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen thereof. Now in 2 Kings chapter 13, we come to the end of the life of Elisha. So now Elisha, this great man, is getting ready to die. And in verse 14, the Bible says this, Now Elisha was fallen sick of his sickness, whereof he died. And Joash, the king of Israel, came down unto him and wept over his face and said, Now notice what he says, Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen thereof. So here you have Elisha dying. And here comes King Joash. And he says the same thing to Elijah on his de- on, to Elisha on his deathbed that Elisha said to Elijah as he was departing. And I think this gets Elisha thinking. Maybe this is the next leader. Maybe this is the next generation. Maybe this guy who's saying the same thing to me that I said to my predecessor, maybe this guy can be the next man that takes, they, takes the torch for the cause of Christ or God. Look at verse 15. And Elisha said unto him, that's King Joash, take bow and arrows. And he took unto him bow and arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, put thine hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it. And Elisha put his hand upon the king's hand. And he said, open the window eastward. And he opened it. And Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of the deliverance from Syria for thou shalt smite the Syrian in Aphek till thou have consumed them. So he's blessing him. He, he says, take a bow, take an arrow, shoot the arrow. He says, look, the way you shot the arrow out that window, he said, God is going to bless you in fighting your enemies, Syria, and all those things. Now notice verse 18. And he said, this is Elisha speaking to Joash, take the arrows, and he took them. And he said unto the king of Israel, smite upon the ground. So he's saying, I want you to throw them on the ground. He said, I want you to stop them on the ground. He said, I want you to crush them on the ground. He said, smite upon the ground. And he smote thrice, now don't miss this phrase, and stayed. So Elisha says to Joash, take the arrow, smite them on the ground. And Joash said, okay. And he said, one, two, three. And maybe he was going to do another one, but then he decided, that's enough. And he stayed. Well, what's the big deal? Well, notice what happens. Look at verse, uh, let's see, verse number 16. I'm sorry, verse number uh, 19. And the man of God was wroth with him. He was upset. Elisha was upset with Joash and said, 
Thou shouldest have smitten five or six times. Then hadst thou smitten Syria till thou hast consumed it, whereas now thou shalt smite Syria but thrice. Here's what he said. He said, you should have just, you should have just beat the fire out of those arrows. He said, why did you stop at three? He said, you should have done it four or five times. You should have done it six times. He said, if you would have done that, he said, if you would have done that, that's how many times you would have smitten Syria to the point where you would have got rid of them. But he said, now you're only going to beat them in three battles, three different times. Because you stayed. Now, I want you to understand, in Scripture, there is this principle where God just wants you to sell out. God just wants you to go crazy. God just wants you to say, you know what? I'm just going to get fanatical about this thing. You want me to smite those arrows? I'm going to beat the fire out of those things. You want me to ask for a request? I'm going to ask for a double portion of Elijah. You want me to ask for a sign? I don't want to see something happen that would happen anyway. I'm going to ask for something big. But you know what's the problem with most Christians? Is you say, I'll try it. I'll try soul winning once, twice, three times. Should I come out that fourth? I don't know. I'll, I'll try getting involved Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Should I go back? I don't know. And we got this idea where we just kind of want to stay back and we kind of just want to be protected and we kind of want to make it spiritual and say, well, I don't know. I don't want to get that involved because maybe I'll get burnt out. Ahaz. And God just says, why don't you just try me? Why don't you just challenge me? Why don't you just ask for something big? Why don't you just ask for something powerful? Why don't you just ask to do something that would not get done if you hadn't asked for it? We need to get a fire in us that says, I want to see God do something big that wouldn't happen otherwise. But see, most Christians are just content to sit there and say, three is good enough for me. Ahaz, you want to ask for a sign from God? No, I'm good. Because I don't want to tempt the Lord. And God looks down and says, and Isaiah says, man, not only do you weary men, he said, you weary the Lord. Isaiah says to, to Isaiah, he said, I'm, I'm, I'm sick and tired of you, and God's sick and tired of you. Because God is looking for people that will stand up and say, I see, see today, today they tell us, you can't build a church with biblical preaching. I say, let's build a church with Bible preaching. Today they say to me, you can't build a church with those old hymns. I say, let's build a church on the old hymns. Today they say to me, you can't build a church knocking on doors. That's, you know, that's old. That's what they used, that's what those guys used to do back in the 60s and 70s. You, today you can't do, go knock on people's door and expect people to come to church and get them saved. You can't do it. But listen to me, I want to say to those people, why don't we do something hard and something big? They say you can't raise children for God. Let's raise them. They say you can't, you know, have a marriage that lasts till death do us part. Let's have them. Let's do something big for God. But most people are just saying, ah, that's just that guy up there all excited about nothing. I just bite it three times. I'm good to go. And that's why the Hezekiahs are few. And that's why the Elishas are few. And the Ahaz and the Joash are abundant. Because whenever we get this feeling like, I think I might just actually buy into this idea. We stop ourselves and say, eh, I don't know. I think three is good enough. And God is looking for people that will say, I'm going to sell out. I'm just going to go ahead and do it. I'm just going to go ahead and, and I don't care what they say. I don't care what anybody says. I'm just going to do what God, I'm going to ask for something big. I want a double portion of the spirit. And I would hope that there would be some people here tonight who would say, I want that too. I want the power of God. Can you get back to Isaiah 38? Isaiah chapter 38. Let me just give you some highlights real quick 
in Isaiah chapter 38, you have the prayer of Hezekiah, and then you have the sign of Hezekiah. And you end the chapter there with a, a writing from Hezekiah. And we won't take the time to um, look at all of it, but I just want you to, I just want to give you one, one highlight, one verse. In, in verse 17, Hezekiah said, says this, he says, Behold, for peace I had great bitterness, but thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption. He's talking about hell. He says, For thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. He says, you delivered me from pit, the pit of corruption because you cast all my sins behind your back. And that's just a great th- truth in Scripture there. In James, we won't go back to it, but in James it talks about the fact that with God there is no variableness, neither turning. When God puts something behind him, he never goes back to it. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west. The Bible says that he's forgotten about our sins. And, and he says, you saved me from corruption, for thou hast cast all my sins behind my back. In verse 18 he says, for the grave cannot praise thee, death cannot celebrate thee. They that go down into the pit cannot hope for thy truth. Verse 19 he says, the living, the living, he shall praise thee. And we know that's true. Jesus taught that if you are a believer in him, you will never see death. You'll never experience death. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And just some truths there in regards to Scripture. Let me show you something in verse 21 and we'll be done. Isaiah 38, verse 21. For Isaiah had said, Let them take a lump of figs and lay it for a plaster upon the boil, and he shall recover. That's talking about Hezekiah. When God healed Hezekiah, Isaiah actually had them take a lump of figs and place it on his boil. He had a boil, and then he was recovered. And, you know, I don't know what that's about. I don't know if that was some sort of medicine or if that was just something God wanted them to do to kind of prove their obedience. But I just want you to notice that in Scripture, not every time that someone was healed were they just healed miraculously. Sometimes Jesus would take dirt from the ground and spit in it and put it on their, on their eyes or different things, you know. And, you know, let there be a principle there, you know, you may be asking for, for you to be healed. The answer of prayer may be medicine. You know, it may, obviously we don't want, they that are holy, not a physician. But if you're sick, go to the physician. Ask God to help you first. But just, you know, we're not Jehovah's Witnesses that reject the idea of all medical practices, okay? Um, that's, you know, sometimes God answers those prayers in, in those ways. But as we end tonight this chapter, I just want to challenge you. Maybe there's something in your life that you've kind of been excited about and kind of stopped yourself. You guys said, I, I'm thinking of doing, I'm thinking of trying soul winning, or I'm thinking of getting baptized, or I'm thinking of whatever it may, I'm thinking of talking to my neighbor, or I'm thinking of whatever it may be, and you kind of stopped yourself. And I just want to ask you, who do you want to go down in history as? Ahaz or Hezekiah? I want to be able to say at the end of my life that something was done as a result of my life that would not have just happened anyway. But God did it because somebody asked God to see something supernatural. I believe God wants to do something in your life. I believe God wants to do something in this church. But it's going to take some people to say, I want to see something big. Let's bow our heads and